If you have entered a grocery store in the last 14 days as I have, you've probably witnessed a scene like this, empty shelves. Uh, Some shelves have some things on them. Most of the shelves don't. But you can pick a grocery store chain uh, in, 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 in the United States or even pick a grocery store chain in any country, and they all have experienced the effects of this worldwide pandemic uh, called COVID-19. And some of this is, is certainly just, and we need to be careful. Some of this is on the borderline of craziness. And this corona craziness is not just limited to groceries, paper products, hand sanitizer. There is also a theological corona craziness that is occurring among those who claim the name of Jesus Christ. Let me give you an example. This past week, prosperity preacher Paula White asked people to sow their Psalm $91 seed money into her ministry. Uh, and and there, she's not the only one, but all of these are banking on Psalm 91.3, which says, He will certainly rescue from the destructive plague. This has gone so far and so deep, a former student of mine contacted me this last week about a person that they are ministering to who is so fearful about what's taking place that they have bought into this deception and using Psalm 91.3 as a a promise from God that they can claim. And so half seriously, I, I told them to take this person to the zoo and then ask them to demonstrate their faith and ask them to demonstrate their faith after you read to them from the same chapter, Psalm 91.13, which says, You will subdue a lion and a snake. You will trample underfoot a young lion and a serpent. So if Psalm 91.3 can be claimed, let's just claim Psalm 91.13, take them to the zoo and watch them trample snakes and watch them trample young lions. I know that's a little, going to maybe going a little bit too far, and like we said, we said it with half seriously. But but that's the kind of theological craziness that's taking place right now. Others have proposed that if you will tithe, uh, you will be protected from the plague, based upon Malachi chapter three verses nine through eleven. And in times like these, times that we're experiencing right now, these scriptures can be abused. And our text today, by the way has experienced its share of abuse. Now, you're probably familiar with this parable this morning. It's the parable of the nagging widow. She continually nags this judge to hear and grant her her petition, and he finally agrees, but he agrees to do so just to get rid of her. And sincere believers have applied this parable to mean that if we just keep on praying, just just keep on praying, keep on praying, and God will eventually grant your request. But is that what this parable is teaching? Does it really teach, don't stop asking until you get what you want? Now, you've got your Bible there, and so look at the text as we begin ready to look at it. In verse 1, Luke sets the scene. Look at the text. He says, the scene is set for us. And also, not only is is the the scene is set for us, Luke points out the audience to us, and he explains the purpose of why Jesus gives this parable. First of all, Jesus is speaking to the twelve. He told them. As you look back into the context and to what previously has gone on, we find that he is dealing with the twelve here. Also, Jesus is impressing upon them when he says there in the text that they ought, 
That, that word there, ought, has the idea of a moral imperative or a moral necessity. Jesus is impressing upon them the moral necessity of not quitting and the moral necessity of not becoming discouraged, but rather to pray again and again. You say, well, that just sounds like what you just said earlier, that this, that this text, people, if you just keep on praying, and keep on praying, and keep on praying, God's going to give you what you want. But, but here's the caveat. Here's why we need to look at the context. But what are they to pray about? What are they to pray about? And what hindrances may they experience that would keep them from prayer? Jesus encourages them to pray. Keep on praying. Jesus encourages them not to give up. So there must be some hindrances that would cause them to cease praying. But again, the key here in this context and the key in this parable is, is what are they to pray about? Well, this morning we're going to look at, first of all, this morning we're going to look at this parable. And in this, Jesus gives us the parable proper, which is found in verses 2 through 5. And, and the first thing he talks to us about is the judge's reputation. Look at verse 2. He says, He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God to tell us about this judge. What is it that he wants us to, to, to get? What's the main thing he's wanting to emphasize to us about this judge as he tells this parable? And what he is emphasizing here is his reputation and character, which Jesus tells us is this. He does not fear God, nor does he respect people. In other words, he doesn't care what God or others think of him. doesn't matter what God thinks of him. It doesn't matter what the public thinks about him. He simply doesn't care. Also, that also some of the things that are implied in this is that he is, he is authoritative. He's authoritative. It's, it's his way or the highway. He doesn't care what God thinks. He doesn't care what, what, what people think. The only person he cares about what they think is himself. He's authoritative and he is not moved by compassion. In other words, his conscience can neither be stirred by an appeal to what is right, which would be what God thinks. What, 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 do, what do the Scriptures say? What do the Scriptures teach us? What does the law? This, this judge, no doubt, is a Jew. Uh, he's, he's, he's a Jew, but he is a Jew who really has no regard for the law. He has no regard for the law. And, and so he, he's somebody. his conscience cannot be stirred by an appeal to what is right, nor can his conscience be stirred by public opinion. It doesn't matter what the headlines are saying. It doesn't matter what CNN is reporting. It doesn't matter what the media is saying. He simply doesn't care. He has a position of power, and the public is not going to get him out of that position of power. So it doesn't matter what they think. It doesn't matter how much, how much pushback he gets from the decisions that he makes. Appealing to his decency. The point that Jesus is driving us home here is that appealing to this judge's decency or character would be a waste of time. Judge, you need to do what's right. Doesn't matter. Judge, you need to think about how the people are going to react to what you're going to do. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Appealing to his decency or his character is simply a waste of time. Jesus then introduces us to the widow in verse 3. And he talks to us about the widow's 
request. We find it there in verse 3. And there was a widow in that city who kept scribes to us her condition. She has an adversary. She has an adversary. In fact, adversary is is at the the latter part of the the, the text and emphasizing there for emphasis. So Jesus wants us to, to think about the fact that she has an adversary. Now, in this culture, this adversary is probably someone who's possibly oppressing her legally uh, and also probably oppressing her financially. So she's being oppressed legally. She's being oppressed financially. Not only uh, does she have an adversary, but this idea of, of having an adversary means her condition is the fact that because she's a widow, she is helpless and powerless. She's helpless and powerless. And that fact is demonstrated uh, by, by, by Jesus telling us that she has to go to this judge in order to gain justice. She doesn't have the money. She doesn't have the position. She doesn't have the authority. She finds herself in a condition where she is powerless and she is helpless and she has an adversary. But Jesus not only describes to us her condition... Jesus also gives us an aspect of her character. And that is the fact that she is persistent. Look at the text again. There was a widow in that city who kept coming to him. She kept coming. Now remember, she lives in the same city that this judge does. So she's well aware of this judge's reputation. That this is a judge who has no regard for God and has no regard for man. We told you earlier, remember, appealing to his decency or character would be a waste of time. She knows she's going up against some. She knows she's going to make her appeal to someone who basically doesn't care. Who doesn't care. Yet in spite of the judge's reputation and character, she knows what it is. She, she knew that before she ever stepped foot uh, in, in, in his courtroom uh, the first time. She knows exactly what his reputation is. She knows exactly what his character is. And yet, the first time she hears no, the second time she hears no, the third time she hears no, the fourth time she hears no, she keeps coming to him asking for the same thing. Asking for the same thing with no reason, no tangible reason, nothing that she can hang her hat on to believe that the outcome is going to be any different. It's it's the same person. And yet she keeps coming, she keeps coming, she keeps coming, and she, she, she keeps coming. So Jesus tells us about her condition. She has an adversary, and she's powerless and helpless. He describes an aspect of her character. She's persistent. She keeps coming. But he also describes her complaint. Her request. And her request is simply this. Give me justice. Give me justice. She wants justice. Now, the Mosaic Law was very clear. was very clear regarding the help and protection that was to be afforded to a widow. The, the, the Old Testament and the law, the Torah has passage after passage after passage, law after law after law, example after example after example, how a widow was to be treated in Israel, the kind of protection that was to be afforded to her, the kind of provision that was to be made for her. It was very clear. But yet she's giving this case, remember, against someone or to someone who has no regard for God's law. 
She's asking for the right thing. Her request is not a request mainly... Her request is not a selfish request. Her request is not a request that is outside the bounds of Scripture. She's asking this judge to do the right thing, to adhere to the law that he is supposed to be upholding. This widow basically has two problems. And her two problems are this. Persecution from an adversary. That's problem number one. Persecution from an adversary. And secondly, a persistent delay of justice. A persistent delay of justice. She's facing persecution. Again, it could be financial. It could be legal. It could be both. It could be other types of persecution. But she's also facing the fact that she keeps asking for justice and justice is delayed. Justice is delayed. Well, Jesus closes out the parable by, by bringing us back to the judge. He starts with the judge. He tells us about the judge's character. Uh, then he, he, he talks to us about the widow uh, there in, in verse 4 where we get her request, the judge's reputation, the widow's request. And now we have the judge's reflection in verses 4 and 5. Jesus takes us inside the mind of this judge. We hear this judge and his self-talk. We hear him talking to himself. And look at verses 4. Back to the judge who has kept denying and denying and denying and denying and denying her until he pauses for reflection. Again, first part of the verse, for a while he refused. So time passes on. He's seen her many times. But now he starts thinking to himself. But what changes his mind? Why does he change his mind? Well, the first part of verse 4, he, he doesn't change his mind due to a loss. His character hasn't changed. It is not changed due to a loss of reputation. It's not changed because of his character. Look at what he says in his self-talk there uh, in, in, in verse 4, uh, the middle part of verse 4. Though I neither fear God nor respect man. Which is exactly how Jesus describes him. Remember how Jesus described him in verse 2? who neither feared God nor respected man. He's proud of his reputation. He's proud, that, he's proud of himself that, you know, it doesn't matter what God says, I'm going to do what I want to do. He's proud of himself as he thinks, you know what, it doesn't matter what the people think, I'm going to do what I want to do. He, he, he revels in his reputation. He's not ashamed of his reputation. He's not ashamed of his character. He revels in it. I'm the kind of judge I don't fear God I don't fear man. My judgments are my authority, and I will make those judgments how I feel those judgments to be made. So he, he, he's not having a change of heart here. It's not because he's gotten pressure uh, from, 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 the, from the masses to, to, to do something with, with this widow and her complaint. It's not because he's had an epiphany from God and now he realizes, hey, I've been living my life for selfish purposes and, and I need to change now and, and, and really start obeying God. It's got nothing to do with that. That's not what changed his mind. But then he tells us what does change his mind. It's not because he's had a change of heart. It's not because he's had a change of character. But he tells us two reasons why, and they're found in verse 5. Look at the first part of verse 5. Yet because this widow keeps bothering me. The first reason why he changes his mind is because she's a nuisance. She's a pest. She keeps coming and coming and coming and coming and coming. You know, what's on the docket today, bailiff? It's the widow. 
Okay? A couple days later, what's on the docket today, bailiff? It's the widow. Three days later, what's on the docket today, bailiff? It's the widow. She keeps coming and coming and coming. And then he tells us there in verse 5, he's, he says, I, I, I'm going to give her justice. And then he gives us the second reason why he's changed his mind. So that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. You know, she was giving him a beat down. We, we, we hear that phrase today, a beat down. She was giving him a beat down. The, the word there is the word that would be used to give somebody a black eye. But she is beating him down. And in this context, as it's used here metaphorically, it's talking about wearing him out emotionally. Those of you that have had children, you understand that. Daddy, can I have this? No. 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 And then finally, because you're just tired of hearing him say, Daddy, can I have this? The little squirt that's about this tall that you outweigh by 150 or 200 pounds, you give in to them. Why do you give in to them? Because they have beat you down emotionally. They've just beaten you down. They've just beaten you down. Just keep beating you down and beating you down and beating you down and beating you down. And finally you give in. And that's exactly what's going on with this judge here. That's why he's changed his mind. If he can, he, he reasons, if I continue to refuse... She will continue to come. If I refuse her today, she's going to be back tomorrow. When I refuse her tomorrow, she's going to be back the next day. The only way to get rid of her is to provide her justice. Now, that's the parable. That's the parable. We have this judge. We have this widow. And then it goes back to the judge's reflection. This judge whose character and reputation, he doesn't care about God. He doesn't care what people think. Appealing to his conscience, appealing to his character, appealing to his sense of decency is useless. We have this widow who finds herself in a very difficult situation. Her condition is one of helplessness, powerlessness, and she has an adversary. But she is a woman who one of the characteristics is is that she is persistent. She is persistent. And, And also we find she wants justice. She's not asking for anything out of the ordinary. She's not asking for something that is outside of the law. She's asking that justice would be served, that what is right would be done for her. And the judge, because not because he's had a change to heart, not because he's decided to get right with God, not because he, he, he wants to hear what the people have to say, but this judge changes his mind because she's a nuisance and she has just beat him down emotionally. And the only way to get rid of her is to give her what she wants. Now, how does this relate to you and I? Well, in the last three verses, Jesus makes the application. And in verses 6 through the first part of verse 8, the application deals with two promises. Jesus is going to give us two rhetorical questions, but these rhetorical questions have embedded in them promises. And we're going to look at God and His elect. How does it apply to us, God and His elect? And look at the initial focus. The initial focus is not on the widow. The initial focus is on the judge. Jesus leads leads the twelve to focus first on the judge. You know, you and I, at least for me, my first focus would want to be on the widow. But that's not where Jesus takes us to first. 
Jesus takes us to the judge. Look at, the, look at verse 6. And the woman and the widow here. There's no ruling from the bench here. But what we do have is his self-talk. He has revealed himself. Jesus says, this is how this judge is. And then the judge reveals himself in the same exact way that Jesus reveals him by saying that he has no regard for God and no regard for man. So what does Jesus, when he tells them, hear what the unjust judge says. What is Jesus wanting them to do? Jesus wants them to compare the character of the judge as revealed by the judge's own internal talk. Hear what he says. He didn't say it verbally. He didn't vocalize it, but he did say it to himself. Hear what this unjust judge says. Think about how he has revealed himself, and I want you to compare that to the character of God who has revealed himself also by word. By the written word, the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures at that time, and then also by the living word. Jesus, remember, says, if, if he tells, tells Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you want to know how God would behave in a situation, look at me. If you want to know how God would respond and act, look at me. I'm God. I'm revealing God to you. But also they have the Hebrew Scriptures as well. So the first thing that Jesus wants them to focus on, Jesus wants them to get their mind off the widow. He doesn't want them thinking about the widow yet. What He does want them to think about is the judge and the relationship between the character of the judge and the character of God. And in doing so, He reveals to us two embedded promises in these rhetorical questions that he asks in verse 7 and verse 8. The first question, remember we told you that there was two problems this widow had. The first problem that this widow had had to do with persecution from an adversary. The second problem that she has is persistent delay of justice. And in this first rhetorical question, Jesus is going to address this widow's first problem, persecution by an adversary. And in the second rhetorical question, Jesus is going to talk about the widow's second problem, her persistent delay of justice. But in order for him to address that, he's going to move us to looking at the character of God. What does the character of God have to do with this widow's persecution this widow's uh, being treated in an unjust manner. And what does the character of God have to do with justice delayed? We've all experienced that. God, why don't you do something? When are you going to do something? And so Jesus is going to talk about two promises here through these rhetorical questions. Again, look at the first question. I mean, earlier we told you how this verse is, is abused. What is, this, what, is this, what, is this, what is this idea here of keep on asking? Don't give up. Don't lose heart. Keep on praying. The context here is talking about praying about justice. Praying about justice. And so the promise embedded in this question that Jesus asked again, and will not God give justice to His elect who cry to Him day and night? The promise that's embedded in that question can be phrased in this manner. God will come to the defense of His people. God will come to the defense of His people. Why will He? 
Why? Well, within this question, Jesus gives us three things that gives us certainty. That God will always come to the defense of His people. And the first is God's character. God's character. Look at what the text has to say. And will not God give justice? God is a just God. God is a God of justice. He's a God of justice. God does right. God one day is going to right everything that's wrong. God is one day going to hold everyone accountable for their actions. Sometimes that occurs here on earth. And sometimes it's not until afterwards. But God is a God of justice. No injustice will go unpunished. No injustice will not have a consequence with God. With God. God's character. We can be assured that we will receive justice. We can be assured that God will come to our defense as His people because God's character, God is just. He is just. But also God's compassion. To whom does He give justice? He gives just justice to His elect. The idea of being elect is that we were chosen by God. We're chosen by God. God, God's lo- God loves us. God has chosen us. God has made us His child. And because of God's election, because we are part of God's elect, He has compassion on us because we belong to Him. We belong to Him. We are His children. He cares about us. And because God's character is one of justice, and God will execute that justice to His elect because God has compassion for His people. He hears their cry. He heard the cry of, the, uh, of Israel when they were in bondage in Egypt. He, he sent Moses to them because He heard their cry. He heard their cry. Remember when, when, when Cain kills Abel and God confronts uh, Cain and he says the blood, uh, he hears the cry of his, of his brother's blood for justice to be served. For justice to be served. The Israelites are calling for justice as they are enslaved there in the land of Egypt. And because of God's compassion for His people, He's going to act. He's going to act. But also... Jesus states our certainty, not not only because of God's character, not only because of God's compassion, but God also acts because of our condition. Look at the text again. "Who uh, Who cry to Him day and night. Now this text isn't saying that that, you know, there's some people that are crying. You know, you got these people over here that are crying out during the day, and, and sometimes we cry out during the night. It's, it's, it's not, that, that's not the idea. Or the idea is that, like, you know, there's parts of the world that are, it's Sunday night already in parts of the world. And so they're crying out at night while we're crying. That's not the idea here. The idea here is the fact that there is a constant need of rescue. We're crying out. It's like this widow who persistently comes and comes and comes and comes and comes. There's this constant need of rescue. We are helpless. We are powerless. If anything, this 
current health crisis has demonstrated is how little it takes for us to realize how helpless we are and how powerless we are. And God knows, uh, not, only is, not only is God character one of justice, not only is God compassionate towards His people, but God understands our condition. He remembers our frame, that we are just dust. And He knows as His people there is a constant need of rescue. We need rescue from sin. We need rescue from the oppressor. We need rescue from ourselves. We live every day in constant need of rescue. So will God come to the defense of His people as Jesus asked this rhetorical question? And will not God give justice to His elect who cry to Him day and night? And the promise embedded is, is that God will come to the defense of His people. Why? Because of who God is, because of His love for His people, and because as His children... We are constantly in need of rescue. The latter parts of verse 7 contains the second question. Look at it there. He says, Will he deliver? Probabilities are the two I'm about to give you. And in fact, I think really it could be a situation where it's not either or, it's, it's both and. The, the first situation, and the question basically is asking, is God going to help them? Okay, yes, we know that God, that God cares for his people. Uh, we, we know the fact that, that God is going to come and, and He's going to uh, come in defense of His people, but, but when does this happen? When's it going to occur? And, and so the best two possibilities in understanding this, this question is simply this, is that, that while God's justice is delayed, He will provide His people provision to endure. So, so the first idea behind this question is the fact that, that while, while justice is delayed, I mean, God doesn't, I mean, one thing doesn't happen and God immediately comes and acts. It doesn't happen a lot. It does happen, but it doesn't happen a lot. And so when, when we as God's people are experiencing injustice and, and, and we pray that God's justice would, would uh, uh, be, be, be revealed and be evident and we pray for Christ's return so that He'll bring justice to this earth, that this earth will finally be ruled with righteousness. Uh, Yet the idea here is that God's justice is delayed. But while God's justice is delayed, He will provide us the provision to endure. Second possibility or probability, and again, I'm not sure if it's either and. I think it probably is, or not either or, I think it's both and, is that while God's justice is delayed, He will protect His people by restricting the intensity of the persecution. God will allow the persecution, but He will protect us in the midst of the persecution. God will allow the persecution, but He will protect us. So let me just kind of go aside here as we think about what's what's going on in our world right now. Christians are not immune from this. That's evident by the fact that I've just got three sinners back there. You know that, that are listening, uh, you know, in the auditorium. Um, we're not immune from this. We've been affected financially. We've been affected our, 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 our relationally. Uh, we we've all experienced some way in some form the effects of what's taking place. If you've gone to the store, there's not a special aisle for Christians only, where you can get your bread and your milk and your sanitizer and all that other stuff. 
But we do know this. We do know this, that while God may allow the persecution, while God may allow the persecution, He restricts the intensity with which we were affected by it. And not only does He restrict the intensity, but He will provide for us so that we can endure. We can endure. It's like I told somebody the other day. They ask, are you afraid to get the virus? I said, no. But if I do and I die... I'm in heaven. Not a bad trade-off. You know? It's not a bad trade-off. And I'm not trying to be flippant or anything. But we, we've got to get our perspective in the right place, as Jubal talked about earlier a while ago. So these are two of the probabilities. And then Jesus, unlike the first question, Jesus answers the second question in verse 8. Again, look at verse 7. He says, will he delay long? I can have the idea of immediate. But when you put the question and answer together... It gives us the second embedded promise. I think the idea here is more soon than, than I think the context fits soon rather than immediate. In other words, the second promise from this second question is this, is that God has not forgotten His elect and will give them justice soon. When we're going through a difficult time, when we're facing injustice, it's easy to cry out, as the prophets of old did, how long, O Lord? How long? How long? When are you going to intervene? When are you going to do something? I think about Habakkuk with that question. I think think about Isaiah with that question. How long? How long? And Jesus tells us, God has not forgotten us. God has not forgotten His elect, and He will give justice soon. He will give justice to His elect soon. Meanwhile, meanwhile, as we wait for soon, there's nothing in this text that gives a definite timeline. He says, you know, talked about for a while He refused. doesn't tell us how long. It was just for a while. For a while. And for a while, God delays His justice. We're not told how long, but it's for a while. It's for a while. But Jesus says, and gives us the promise, even though it appears that God's not doing anything, He has not forgotten His elect, and He will give them justice soon. So as we wait for soon, This parable teaches us that as we wait for soon to happen, we are to keep requesting for justice because God is listening. Keep requesting for justice because God is listening. And while you're requesting, rest, continue to rest in His provision and His protection. So, we've looked at the parable proper there, which Jesus talks about there in in, in verses uh, 2 through through 5. We've seen the promise as Jesus makes the application concerning God and His elect. And as we told you earlier, the first focus was to the judge. As we are to compare who God is to compare who that judge was. And now Jesus gets us to the point there in the latter part of verse 8. Now our focus, the majority of His focus has been saying, look to God. Look to God. Think about who He is. Think about His character. Think about His compassion. 
Think about the fact that He knows that you need rescue every day. And remember the promises that God has given you. That God will come to the defense of His people. And that God has, not forget, has forgotten, God has not forgotten His elect and will give them justice soon. The first focus is go to God. And now, in the latter part of verse 8 as He closes this parable out, He gives us another rhetorical question that deals with the widow and you and I. He says, when Jesus comes again, He's not coming as a babe in a manger. He's not coming as a lowly servant. He comes as a warrior king. As a warrior king to execute God's justice. And the question here is, will he find those who have persevered and believed despite the wait? There's been a wait. There's been a wait. But in spite of the wait, Jesus says, will there be anyone who keeps persevering and who keeps believing in spite of the weight. And here's where he makes the application between the widow and you and I. If the widow kept asking for justice with a faith that acted in spite of appealing to an unrighteous judge, remember, this woman had no hope to expect anything from a judge who disregarded God and who disregarded man who didn't care that the fact that he's going to be held accountable to God, who wasn't, who wasn't compelled to follow the laws of God, and who didn't care anything about public opinion. Nothing about public opinion. Yet this woman kept asking for justice with a faith that acted in spite of appealing to a righteous judge. And Jesus in this last statement is saying this. Since this widow did this, do we have the faith to keep asking our God who is righteous for justice against our adversaries and the faith to wait, resting in His provision, resting in His protection until He acts. Until He acts. He makes the comparison now. He drives it home. Will we keep asking God in faith, for justice against our adversaries? Will we keep living by faith to wait even though God doesn't seem to be doing anything? Will we continue to have the faith to rest in His provision? That God, through, as, as our adversaries are, 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 are keep, keep banging upon us, that we will, we will rest in God's protection. That while we may experience persecution. Persecution is not going to destroy us. I may get COVID-19 and I might even die from COVID-19. I don't think so. I, I don't think that's in my future. But if that happens, God's in control and God's protection is sure. And I'll be with my Savior. But will I also have the faith to rest in His provision? that God will give me the strength to endure when I need justice from my adversaries. On this earth, we're going to experience injustice. On this earth, we'll be persecuted for for our faith. On this earth, 
we have many adversaries, some seen and some unseen. But we have a God, a God of justice, who has compassion for our condition, and a God who listens to the cries of His people. In the midst of persecution and the possible delay of justice, never stop praying for justice. Never stop praying for the return of Christ. The one and the only one who can bring justice to this world. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will He find faith on the earth? And the answer should be, yes. Yes. Because I have a God who listens. I have a God whose character is that of justice. I have a God who has compassion for His people. And I have a God who understands my condition. And I have a God who listens to the cries of my heart. Let's pray. Father, we do thank You for Your Word. We thank You, Father, for Your goodness and graciousness to us. We thank You, Father, that we can come together through this means and be encouraged and challenged by Your Word today. Bless Your people. Encourage their hearts. Father, help them to see You in light of how this parable presents You. And help them to cry out to You. And to do so with confidence because of who You are, because of how You care, and because You're mindful of our condition. And You listen to us. Not because of us, but because of who You are. Bless Your people, we pray. For we pray these things in Christ's name through the Spirit. We, as we say, we're not going to have an altar call, but we are going to have an invitation. We do want to invite you for a time to reflect. So if you're watching here, we're going to ask you to kind of bow your head and close your eyes and give you a time for reflection, and then we'll close in prayer and, um, and then finish out the service. Let's go to the Lord in a time of silence. Father, thank you for this time today. Lord, it's been a different. But yet, Father, we're thankful that your presence um, empowers us, that your presence helps us. And Lord, that through you, uh, we can make the best out of a bad situation. As Jubal mentioned earlier, Father, help us to uh, demonstrate hope to those around us. Help us, Father, to be an encouragement. And Lord, we pray for your protection upon our people this week, upon your people this week. Lord, that you would um, watch over them. and Lord, those that are out having to do things, Lord, that you would protect them. and Father, that you would alleviate their fears. And Lord, help them to do the, the things that need to be done, the common sense steps that need to be taken. 
Father, help them to uh, put their confidence not in their hand washing, not in their hand sanitizer, not in their social distance, dis, distancing. Father, help them to put their confidence and faith in you. You are a God that we can trust. You are a God who will bring justice. And Lord, we have many adversaries. Some are without, some are within. Father, we pray that you give us justice from our adversaries. That we would rest in your provision. That we would rest in your protection because of who you are and how you care. Because you're mindful of our weaknesses. You're mindful of our powerlessness. You're mindful of our helplessness. And Father, we're thankful that in you we can find our hope and our strength. Lord, we, we long to be back together again. But right now, uh, that's just not possible. So Father, help us to find ways to encourage one another, to strengthen one another. Help us to delight in you. And Father, we thank you for the opportunities that are going to be ours during this time to display the love of Christ. We love you. We thank you for who you are for what you have done and what you are doing. For we pray these things in Christ's name through the Spirit. Amen. We hope that the service has been encouragement to you today. We would appreciate any feedback that, we, that you could give us.